podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, y'all. We are here with Ben Greenfield from the Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast. His new book is called Boundless. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. You can't even get it yet, yeah. but you can pre-order it right now. And that really helps. <laughs> that, I, that really helps if you pre-order someone's book. So you can uh, check it out. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. So before we dive into our surprise questions today, before we talk about creating the best year ever in 2020 <laughs> or or any year really or any month let's read some more about less so we do this little segment ben where we read something really as a jump off point and so i, I went back into the archives on your website bengreenfieldfitness.com oh, no. that's dangerous to go into the archives on my website <laughs> this is this is from more than a decade ago i believe oh my gosh. uh but it's not from you so you don't have to worry it's from uh, i was gonna say uh, please don't tell me you're gonna ask me about something i no. wrote more than a decade ago no no no, no. <laughs> this is from jennifer Pop sage <laughs> and and i like this because uh, i'm just gonna read the first two points and then we'll put a link to it in the show notes if people want to read the rest of it but this is called why new year's resolutions don't work and she said by now you should realize that New Year's resolutions do not work. By the way, she wrote this on February 12th. So uh, I think a lot of people around February 12th are, are figuring out. Like, Seems appropriate. Man, oh, I used to give up crap. way sooner than that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're an overachiever, right? You even overachieve and you're underachieving. That is about the time many gyms turn into ghost towns. Yeah, right? Uh, right? You want to avoid gyms in January because you, you're... You might get the bird flu or oh something. God. There's so many people yeah. there. Yeah. It's insane. Anyway, um, let's see here. Uh, they don't work because if you're like 99% of the people who made them at 11.59 p.m. on December 31st, by now you've long forgotten them or deliberately threw them in the trash. Why? Because they are not backed by belief or the right mental preparation. They're usually conscious statements to overcome a perceived weakness, such as not drinking anymore, or as much, losing weight, watching less TV, spending more time with family, etc. Besides, there is a big difference between wanting something and being prepared to receive it. Mm. I think that's so true. Quite often, yeah. I think that we want uh, an, an infinite or functionally infinite amount of things, but we're not prepared to do the work. Uh, and I think that's what she means by, by receive it. So she says, first of all, most people fail at resolutions because they expect to fail. I think that's isn't that so true? Mm. We enter the new year like, well, I know I'm going to fail at this. Yeah. Well, if you know you're going to fail, then you've, you've already set yourself up for failure. That yeah. is not helped by media, is it, though? Right. Because, you know, media has, has pretty much linked the word failure to the word resolution. Mm. Right. Wow. By producing yeah. articles and news pieces and media based around the idea of you failed, now what? Right. Right. So, so we're almost like cognitively programmed when we make a resolution to associate it with failure. Yeah. The second That's thing she point. says here is we are conditioned to remain the same weight, the same income level, or in the same mediocre relationship due to the habits we've acquired and reinforced over the years. I think that's one thing that we don't talk about, Ben, is we often don't talk about, um, when we talk about habit change, we, we often talk about like acquiring a new habit, new skill set, but we also have to sort of break the pattern that we've uh, accumulated. We've done such a good job of building these bad habits up, and I think it's, it's walking away from those so you can walk toward some more meaningful, more important habits. Yeah, programming is pretty profound. I mean, it's 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 very difficult to break some programming. I mean, in in this day and age, many people are turning to things like you know, ayahuasca and plant medicine and ketamine mm -hmm. and MDMA to 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 break the programming because there's there's such a concrete 
uh, holding on to of the ego mm. that you almost need like a like a hammer to be able to to somehow dissolve yeah. it, or I guess in this case of the flamethrower. Have you heard of the Pavlock? Dissolve it—the thing that you can shock yourself mm-hmm. with. Yeah, the Pavlock wristband device. Yeah, yeah it's like we're we're developing all these devices and medicines, etc., to somehow break us out of these cycles because patterns can be very hard to break, especially if they're programmed from childhood. I mean, it's, it's an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. Now, there are going to be a lot of people who are listening to this, and it won't be December 31st, 2019, the eve of, of the new decade, right? They're going to listen to this in February or August or five years from now. And, and um, in fact, I find a lot of our episodes, some of the most popular ones, they continue to grow years and years later. I'm sure you see that with, with your podcast as well. And, and so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, it's August you don't have to wait until January one to have a, to resolve to do something. You don't even have to wait until tomorrow. You can, you can resolve to make some sort of change right now. But I think Ben, we probably need to make it uh, a little bit more concrete because often our resolutions lack specificity, right? It's what lose weight, sleep more. I mean, go to the gym. (laughs) you can drive to the gym and accomplish that right i drove to the gym i'm going through just that right now i right now when i go to the gym i'm checking the box i'm not that excited about it i'm making stuff up as i go i'm Mm. just kind of thinking oh go beat myself up for an hour figure out what i'm going to do i'll strength train this day maybe do some cardio this day and it's because i just finished my race season for spartan Mm. i have no races on the calendar i have no competitions on the calendar I have zero goals. I have no tennis matches and mixed doubles I'm competing with uh, with my wife. I have no bow hunts planned. I have nothing. And right now, I am I'm in a very dangerous place from a mm. fitness standpoint because I have zero direction. Right, and that's actually it's 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 on my list this weekend. I'll be sitting down, and for me, it just helps to go on a long walk and think. But I'll be basically analyzing what is it that I want to do next. Right? Do I want to start rolling in jujitsu with my kids? Do I want to jump into a local CrossFit box and develop CrossFitting skills? Do I want to sign up for a mixed doubles tournament with my wife? Do I want to do an Olympic distance triathlon in the spring of 2020? Mm. But I can tell you right now that I'm in desperate need to get something on the schedule because I'm personally not that motivated to get fit. Yeah. And it has been, uh, I would say close to 20 years that I have been relying upon that strategy to keep myself motivated, to stay healthy and fit, be signed up for something, mm. have something on the schedule where I either have a competition or some type of an event or something that motivates me that is right there on the schedule with a dedicated timeline And when you marry that to the concept of sports specificity, right? So let's say it's a mixed doubles tennis match with my wife. I'm going to be doing a lot of like rotator cuff training for my shoulder, a lot of like short 10 to 15 second sprints, playing a lot of tennis, doing some weightlifting that allows me to maintain like that isometric squat position when you're at the tennis net and your partner is serving over your head. Like all of a sudden that lends a great deal of specificity and motivation to my workouts. But until I identify what those thing, what that thing or those things are that I want to be signed up for, mm-hmm. you know, right now I'm just kind of like, you know, flying blind. Yeah. I totally agree. Like just going with, I want to be healthy or I want to be fit. Like that's going to get you only so far. Like I can yeah. think about, uh, me snowboarding. Um, that's a huge motivator for me to go to the gym and to make sure that when snowboarding season starts, I'm not 
you know, only going down once or twice and then done for the day. Cause I've totally been there where I snowboarding season starts. I have not worked out, you know, pretty much all year, maybe once here, you know, twice here that week. And then after the first run, I'm like, Oh, like I'm so out of shape. I can't even like snowboard the rest of the day. So yeah, I mean, just having something to, yeah. yeah and and to some get people will say, well, I want to, I want to be able to, I want to be stronger. You know, I want to be able to deadlift 300 pounds or bench press, you know, my body weight times mm-hmm. two or whatever. But even that can, you know, un- unless there's something on the other end of that, that you're developing that strength for, mm-hmm. it can still be a little bit of an ethereal goal. You know, you could say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm getting stronger to be whatever, harder to kill, you know, or more <laughs> right. resilient or higher bone density or something mm-hmm. like that. But, you know, even something like that, you know, I encourage people, well, you know, do it, but maybe set up a competition among, you know, five of your friends and see who could deadlift the most weight, you know, by May of 2020. Yeah. You know, so, so for me, I, I think that there, there's a great deal of value in having that carrot on the end of the stick, that extrinsic event that you've signed up for. Yeah. Like the more focus that you can get that, that goal. Yeah. I totally, I totally agree. I think also that it helps that we're kind of simplifying things here as well, whether it's by having an accountability partner, if it's your wife that you're playing tennis with, or I know Ryan, when, so I have a, I have a Peloton at home and I'll use it and I get a good workout from it, but I know I get a much better workout when I go to a soul cycle class. Yeah. There's no question because it's not just me in a room. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm competing against this leader imaginary leaderboard, but there aren't 50 people in the room like when we go with dr green mm-hmm. uh, to a soul cycle class or when you go to one of these crossfit things that i'm terrified and won't go to um that that uh, there's something about having other people there to ha- to it, it, it's not even a competition it is encouragement and it is it is helping you be the best version that you can be within that half hour, hour, or, or whatever. And I think ultimately what we're talking about here is simplifying. And so many of these resolutions, I think the reason that people fail is they seem overly complex. So the word complex comes from the Latin root complex, which means to bind two things together or multiple things together, more than one thing. Simple, simplex just means one. So if you uncomplect something, you simplify it. And uh, I know you, there are a lot of things that you do, Ben, uh, to simplify. I mean, one thing that I do, here's an example. And I'm sure you have a million other examples like this. When I walked in the studio today, you were like doing a warrior one pose or something. Um, but like I have a pull-up bar above my bathroom door. And every time I go to the bathroom, it's six pull-ups really quickly. And so every day, it's you know, 60 plus pull-ups without uh, without even having to really think about it. It's automated yeah. in a way. Yeah, micro goals, micro workouts are what I call those. But yeah, absolutely, uh, simplicity can, it, it can very much uh, decomplexify things. And what I mean by that is if if you thumb through, let's say like men's health or women's health magazine, it seems that every issue is a constant quest to see who can come up with the most complex exercise (laughs) or the strangest workout where you're carrying a kettlebell attached to an elastic band slung over your shoulder while you're on a BOSU ball, you know, on a roller skate on, on one leg. Right. So (laughs) how'd you know my workout? Yeah. Yeah. I saw, saw you the other day rolling, rolling down the sidewalk with that contraption, but you know, it's, simplicity can make things so much easier. Like, like for me, if I'm in a, in a cognitively fatigued state or I'm traveling, like it's so, so easy for me to say, I'm going to do 30 squats, 20 push ups, 10 pull ups, and do, 
you know, put on an audiobook and do 10 rounds of that, mm. right? Three exercises, just go to my happy place and I'm done in 40 minutes. And then there's like very little barrier to entry because I don't have to look up videos on my phone or try to remember which exercise was that. Like, it's just super duper simple. Same, same with my diet right now at home. It's so simple. I eat tubers, right? Um, sweet potatoes, yams, purple potatoes, carrots, parsnips, anything like that. Mm-hmm. That's my only carbohydrate. You don't worry right. about oxalates? Um, aside from, no. Okay. No, there, there's, there's you, you need to worry more about like almonds and spinach and things like that for the oxalates. Mm. So that's my primary source of carbohydrates aside from small amounts of raw honey that I usually put onto those tubers. Mm. And then I'm organic meat, wild-caught fish, bone broth, cup of coffee in the morning, red wine at night, and then I squeeze in some organ meats here and there. Mm. Right. And that's it. Wow. Right, and it's so simple and so easy, and I don't have to think that much about it. I'm get, and I've analyzed the the diet, you know, via nutrition tracker, and I'm getting everything I need, right? But it's just so much more simple than me opening the refrigerator and just kind of like, all right, what am I going to make? Thing. Yeah, what yeah. am I going to make today? Yeah. 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 Now your kids have a, a food podcast, is that right? They do the the Go Greenfield Show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How old are your boys? They're, They're twins. eleven. Okay. They're eleven year old twin boys, and I think it's important that a that a child learn a you know a, a career based skill yeah. at an early age. In their case, they they love food. They love to cook. They love to check out restaurants. I kind of painted myself into the corner of any restaurant trip being pretty expensive because they just take one look at the kids menu and toss it aside and delve straight into the you know the caviar and the scallops <laughs> but <laughs> they got they, good taste. Uh, yeah they they have a a brand manager that they that they pay on a monthly basis to do their you know manage their affiliate relationships their ads their uh you know what the topics are going to be that they podcast on and then they have another employee their their media manager who does the audio and the video editing and everything and so wow. they learn lessons about running their business they they learn about food and because they are, uh, they're unschooled. You know, mm-hmm. the state of Washington requires us to log which of the 12 different subjects, such as reading or math or chemistry or physics, that their daily activities fall into. So for them, you know, cooking can include math. It can include chemistry. Uh, it can include social studies. It can include, uh, uh, what do they call it, something like career development, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of these activities kind of cover multiple categories for their schooling. And at the same time, they're, you know, they're putting a little bit of, of money into their little 11-year-old bank accounts. So. That's awesome. That's yeah. killer, man. Yeah. yeah. Bravo to you. And I get to eat good food. <laughs> there you go. Well, um, let's talk about what it would what it would take to create the best year of your life. And, and you know, I, I think that it might actually be less than we think. You know, we, we often look back in, in the rear view and say, oh, that, it, with nostalgia, that, that was the best time of my life. Now, I, I think that nostalgia is a, is a rose-colored rear view because when we think of, like, all the good times, we forget about all the pain and the things that, that were involved with that. We just tweeze out the good stuff. But if we're looking forward... Some some forward looking nostalgia in a way. What what would what would it take to create the best year ever for you, Ryan? Uh, I don't know, man. That's a kind of putting me on the spot question. What would what would it take to create the best year? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, dude. Pass. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> what about you, man? More you tell coffee. me. Tell me about yeah. Tell me about your best year. Well, I mean, I, I can I can go back and I can sort of think about um I I can think about times that I've enjoyed the most. I've had the most. Not just, not pleasure. We we confuse pleasure with happiness, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with pleasure, right? But if we forsake happiness, 
for pleasure, that becomes a problem. Also, contentment is different from happiness. And I think joy is different from all three of those mm-hmm. things. The times I was most content and most joyous, um, the foundation was always a healthy foundation, right? M- meaning yeah. I was in some of the best health of my life. Yeah. Now, you know, and I was actually <laughs> talking to Ben about this earlier. In fact, I've, I was stuck with a couple needles this morning. Uh, checking to see if I have Crohn's disease, and and one thing that we that we forsake, one thing that we take for granted, is is our health. You know, when, when everything is is going really well, we don't even think about it. It's just, well, of course, everything's fine, right? Mm-hmm. But but without health, we real we don't really have anything. Yeah. And so I think it's really about building on top of 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 a healthy foundation. And we forsake our health so we can achieve these sort of ephemeral things, whether it's like working 80 hours a week to buy the fancier car, the really nice house, or, or these things that, that actually get in the way of our health. And so for me, what, what, what would my best year ever be? It would be a year in which I continue to heal. I, I think I've, I, I've gotten past my nadir. This, this summer was, was, this past summer of, of 2019 was, was really bad. And so, um, Get, getting past that and 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 being able to to repair so that I can I can build a better version of myself and everything else I honestly think I've learned this lesson I think everything else is window dressing to a great extent yeah so I mean what so that question the reason why I feel stilted being asked what what it's like to have the best year is because I don't think about having the best year I mean I think about having the best life mm-hmm. and I hope each year I can improve upon that I certainly don't hope that 2019 was my best year ever. No. I don't hope that 2020 is the best year ever. No, I, I do. I, I hope it's the best year ever up until this point. And then 2021, and then you continue to improve. And, and right. really, that's where I'm going with this is if we are, if, if we're in, if we're improving, constantly improving, mm-hmm. then yeah, 2019 has the potential right. to be your best year. So my best yeah. year is the next year that I live where... I'm living a meaningful life where my short-term actions are aligning with those long-term values, which include health, it includes relationships, it includes uh, giving, community service. Yeah, I, I think that when you are forecasting what that best year will be, that you do need to be aware that it's it's not that you regret previous years. Mm-hmm. My wife and I have this saying that we that we say to each other, no regrets, only gratefulness. Mm-hmm. No Amen. regrets, only gratefulness. Yeah. So you're you're intensely grateful for every year that you've had, every chapter of that book. And when you read a book, it's not that you get to chapter twenty and it was better than chapter nineteen. Mm. Right? And and it's not that you're reading chapter 20 and thinking that chapter 19 sucked and you'd never go back and read chapter 19 again. It's instead that every chapter is bringing you closer and closer to the resolution of the hero's journey, mm. right? That hero's journey that we are all living. So it's like this year will bring you one step closer to making as deep and meaningful an impact with the unique skills that you've been given on the world. And it's, it's just another chapter that moves you that much closer to that goal. And it returns mm-hmm. back to the importance of a purpose statement, of knowing why you get out of bed each morning. Mm-hmm. You know, of, of, you know for, for me, you know, I woke up this morning and admittedly, I was a little tired. I, you know, I, I had to open the window last night and it was warm out and some bugs came in and I got, so I spent from probably 3 to 4.30 a.m. scratching itches <laughs> and actually stopped on the Uber on the way down here 
dinner and got some hydrocortisone cream so it didn't happen again. And I, you know, I opened my eyes at about 6.30 this morning and I was a little bit, bit groggy. And then, honestly, I thought of you guys and I thought, you know what? I get this amazing chance to go on the Minimalist podcast today and to talk to people and to hopefully share some information that helps some people out, that changes some lives. And you know what? What's my purpose in life? To empower people to live a more adventurous, joyful, and fulfilling life? Well, that kind of falls into the category for me, you know, being on your guys' podcast of empowering people to live a more fulfilling life, right? And as soon as that thought went through my head, it was like, yep, here we go. Smile, got up, you know, ready to crush the day. And, you know, I don't, I don't think about being tired at all. It's like, okay, what can I do to prepare my mind and body to go be on the Minimalist podcast? And when you have that single, succinct purpose statement, it just helps you awake every day and stack those 365 days in a row so that that chapter of your life, that year of your life, moves you that much closer to making that lasting impact that you were placed on this planet to make. Yeah, I love that, man. Gratitude instead of regrets. So, Milburn, with your health, mm-hmm. arguably, this would be like the worst year of your health you've had. Yeah, 2019 was the worst year of my life, for sure. Okay, so that said... Um, I'm sure there's still something you can take away because I could say 2019 up to this point in my life, best year of my life. Right. I certainly hope it isn't, you know, the apex of my, of my life. Um, but with yours, it's been the worst. So how, how does one deal with that when they are looking back and they, they can, you know, they can see in the rear view like, oh shit, that was the worst year of my life. Yeah, I, a lot of it has been what Ben mentioned a moment ago, uh, gratitude. I think I think that puts it into perspective, you know, quite a bit. Uh, uh, looking for for there are always these positive things, even when you're at this this valley, this deep dark valley. There are things to to appreciate about life, mm-hmm. even in 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 the the recent past, and also you can look forward. I mean, so hope and despair say the same thing; that they, they are a prediction about the future, right? And and so I think quite often when we get into those valleys, we experience a a deep despair, as though we're never going to traverse the valley. Mm-hmm. This is it for me. I, I'm in the valley forever, but of course. We always say the opposite when we're at the peaks. This is going to last forever. <laughs> Guess what? No, it's not. On a long enough timeline, everything is ephemeral. Mm-hmm. And, and and that is true with pain. That is true with suffering. Now, there have been some some sort of things that I've done over the course of this year with the whole the gut dysbiosis. So, Ben, this whole thing started for me with uh, Ryan and I were in Brazil last uh, September, September twenty. 18 and I got like weird food poisoning and I've had 13 14 months of gut issues since then and I think uh, it was just starting the last time I was here yeah I think yeah because I remember you, you mentioning it yeah yeah and, and so at the time we thought it was SIBO because I had had a colonoscopy and endoscopy and they didn't find anything and so they're like oh yeah SIBO um, and, and you know, tried to treat it nothing happened continued to, to sort of get worse and eventually we found a bunch of ulcers in, in my small intestine now that still has a lot to do with the gut microbiome and there's dysbiosis going on in there and obviously extreme inflammation and and all of these other things and and in that you know you 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 feel this this true despair mm. and and but if you step back for a moment and realize like okay yeah i am here right now 
but I'm not going to be here in perpetuity. I'm not going to be in this valley. And so I can sort of scan the landscape and realize like, well, I'm going to have to embrace this because I can't be anywhere else right now. Yeah. But I will be somewhere else and then have an appropriate plan. You know, you don't want to wallow in the despair because that leads to what? Worrying. Mm. And worry is what? It's a prediction about a non-existent future. Now, it's a future that might happen, but if it happens, then it happens. But if I'm if I'm in a constant state of worry, that's actually going to perpetuate the despair, and then it becomes this this sort of downward spiral, in a way that is that is hard to get out of. Yeah, yeah. Usually, you ask Josh like, "Hey, how's it going?" and he'll respond, "Outstanding." Mm-hmm. And he, people in like in the corporate world, they would call him Mister Outstanding. <laughs> and this year, uh, it wasn't outstanding as much. And I'll yeah. tell you the one thing I learned from your your worst year ever is I would ask him how he's doing and he would say hopeful mm. and when you're in that dis- that state of despair I mean hope is is mixed with action I mean but but that sometimes is all you have and that's the other thing I learned too man is like he really went out of his way to do as much as he could for his health uh when it comes to his diet I don't know anyone with a more maybe rich role mm. <laughs> he's got a more pristine diet than Milburn or or the same um, yeah, but I couldn't eat what he eats. It would kill me. Right, right, right. All that fiber. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, I mean, just the things uh, that he's done with exercise and uh, getting the care that he needs medically, um, where, where I find that a lot of people in those, those uh, situations of despair, it's easy to give up. It's easy to just, like, throw your hands in the air and be like, well... Well, now I just got an excuse as to why I'm so, you know, why I feel so bad all the time. Or you can use it as fuel on the fire. I Meaning, I've had, I've had Giardia, I've had MRSA, I've had SIBO. You know, you you, you put the alphabet letter soup on any condition, and, and I've mm. probably had some form of it. And I remember the Giardia I am, thing. I think I read no, about your Giardia. You yeah. did, it was just four weeks ago, or maybe closer to five or six, but it was a wilderness survival course in which I was pretty proud of my little homemade charcoal sand-based strawberry leaf water filter, and apparently it wasn't working as, as well as I had, I had expected. Uh, however, the way that I think about any of these conditions is I ruthlessly go about hacking them, learning the hell out of every nook and cranny of that specific condition, and then turning around and telling people, whether via written or audio or video form, what I have discovered and what helped me. And when you think about any pain or trial or tribulation that you go through as an opportunity to be able to learn as much as you can from it, then Mm -hmm. turn around and mentor and educate and help other people who might be struggling with the same thing, it almost makes a, a trial into an, an adventure that allows you to do great good in the world. And so, you know, I would imagine, Josh, that you will probably have a great deal of helpful information yeah. that you can give to people at the end of this journey or as you go through this journey that's actually going to allow people to heal themselves probably faster than you were able to. So, you know, it's almost like you put yourself into the position of, of being a mentor, being a guide, and the nice thing is that we live in a day and age where anybody has access to be able to utilize YouTube and media and podcasting to help other people with the shit that's been served to them and teach people how to get over that faster, yeah. more efficiently. Yes, indeed. Yeah. 
Ben, what what uh what are you looking forward to in twenty twenty? Family. Twenty twenty is the year of family. I have put my foot down and I don't think I'm going to a single conference or single event for which written into the contract for that event is not, you know, Ben's wife and boys need to be on the plane. Um, you know, bigger hotel room for, for all of them to be in. I, you know, I have a, a dedicated kind of travel concierge ensuring that my family is, is, you know, kept fun and safe during any of my talks. And, and really I am hyper focused right now on connectivity to my family. Part of that being that, you know, now that my children are unschooling, they're going with me everywhere anyways. Mm. Part of it being that over the past few months, my wife and I have become very, very deeply connected spiritually, and we simply do not want to be apart from one another. And uh, I, I absolutely crave my family and want 2020 to be a year where I am focused on legacy, on family, and on this idea that's been rolling around in my head lately that I'm not raising my children. I'm raising my grandchildren, mm. right? And every choice I make right now is affecting the Greenfield family for decades and decades to come. And so 2020 for me is, is hyper, hyper focused on family. How, I does, love how it. does living in Spokane aid that? I well, mean, you're, you're I, I outside. Kind of isolated. Yeah, you're outside of Spokane. I mean, yeah. we, we're, we're very familiar. We lived in you yeah. know, Missoula. That's right. For uh, five, six years, something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't say that that Spokane affects that too much, aside from the fact that when I'm home, there are very few distractions that take me away from family. It's travel that makes it the hardest. And mm. granted, that's the the cool position and the platform I've been given is to be able to travel around the world and speak at conferences and you know come to LA and podcast with guys like you and you know and go go hither and yon. But when I go home to Spokane, I am isolated out in the forest with a float tank and a hyperbaric oxygen chamber and infrared sauna. And, you know, it's just like literally hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of biohacking equipment out in the middle of the forest where I can't walk anywhere. You know, it takes a long time to even bike anywhere. You know, in the winter, it's a, it's a snowy road that's hard to come up and down. And, you know, people ask me like, oh, what's the best restaurant in Spokane or what show should I go see or what's there to do? And I'm like, Hell, if I know I, when I'm when I'm at home, I don't even leave the house. So <laughs> I am hardcore, fully present with my family wow. when I am at home, and so that that aspect of things does make it easier. I've just got, you know, I've, I I think it's important that a family has not only traditions, you know, Christmas traditions and Thanksgiving traditions and traditions that allow the children to feel safe and comfortable and, and full of hope and reliance upon you know a little bit of predictability in the home, but I also think it's important to have an oasis, like an actual home, home place where family and friends and neighbors can gather. And we are, we are definitely not, and I am definitely not hardwired to be like the nomadic homeschooling family, right? Like we like to have that, that place where we've set up roots and where hopefully my parents or my wife's parents, when they're sick or debilitated late in their later years of life can come and live with us. And we just, we, re, we really pride ourselves upon having that, that place to come home to that oasis. Yeah, so, so yeah. but being in the middle of nowhere can also isolate us if we're not careful, right? How, how do you maintain connection outside of the, the family unit mm -hmm. uh, and outside of traveling for conferences and stuff like that? But having a, having a local community is also important. So how, how do you yeah. facilitate that even though you're in the middle of nowhere? For me, increasingly, it's been dinners at our home. 
and now it's happening one to two times a month where I've got local physicians and influencers and personalities, sometimes from, from afar, sometimes from near, coming up to the house for these dinners. So even though I'm not getting out much, I'm opening up my home more and more to the community. And it, it's actually on my mind right now, returning back to fitness goals, you know, and what the next fitness goal will be about kind of like getting involved with more of a tribe locally, whether that's a CrossFit box, whether that's the men's tennis league, yeah, whether it's a, a jiu-jitsu gym or whatever. So I think that's probably the next step for me. And, you know, it's, it's, it's probably going to be pretty soon that I start to do even more locally as much as I hate to leave my house when I'm home. Uh, I may, may start to venture out a little bit more and get involved in that stuff. Okay. So. Well, let's, uh, we got a bunch of surprise questions here today. Let's start with, uh, one from Rohit. Have you heard any funny new? Have you heard of any funny New Year's resolutions? Have you heard any ridiculous ones? I can't think of any. Have you heard of? Have you heard of any? Quitting coffee—that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. There are actually. I here's here's. I probably should quit coffee for a period of time, just because I haven't for a very. The last time I tried was 2009. Yeah, and I'm so addicted, man. Day three. <laughs> I, I am a coffee addict. Actually, coffee is addicted to me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I. the last time I tried was 2009. And on day three, I remember it was the only time I ever left work. We were, we were back in the corporate world. And... Um, I managed a bunch of retail stores. I had to go home for the day. I had such a splitting headache. Now, okay, so so it's not the taste of coffee. It's not that I no, needed it to to induce a bowel movement or something like that. It's actually the the caffeine and the sympathetic mm. nervous system stimulation. I think it's all yeah. of the above. I think it's yeah. all three for me. Yeah, because mm. a lot of times, you know, and I do this quite often, I'll use decaf coffee mm -hmm. for about a week every few weeks to reset what are called the adenosine receptors mm. in the nervous system. And caffeine can fit into that adenosine lock and keep adenosine from binding to the receptor. And adenosine is what makes you sleepy. So as you do that, your body starts to make more and more adenosine receptors and you need more and more adenosine to be able to fall asleep mm. at night, right? But by resetting that, by switching to decaf for a certain period of time, you limit that from occurring. Mm. I wonder uh, if there's, because there's just a tiny bit of caffeine in decaf, I wonder if that's enough to, like, to stave off the headaches. I yeah. don't know. Yeah. Um, but obviously there, there are other... You know, like when you quit cigarettes, you start chewing nicotine gum, yeah. right? Cup of, cup of coffee is 100, 150 milligrams. A piece of caffeinated gum is 30 to 40, right? So you can use something like gum to wean yourself off caffeine. Mm -hmm. You can use, uh, you know, like we were talking earlier about L-theanine, for example, mm -hmm. is something that can kind of give you a caffeine-like effect, but take a little bit of the edge off the caffeine. Um, you know, and there are even uh, teas and coffees uh, there's there's one like a dandy tea. There's one that's a chicory root tea, and you can, you can get these bags on Amazon that kind of sort of taste like coffee, but again, don't have quite as much caffeine. What about like a yerba um, mate? You ever you know yerba mate doesn't agree with me. It makes me jittery. Yeah, yeah. same. Is it? Yeah. I, well, is it a good substitute? Like if I wanted to uh, reset the what receptors were they? The adenosine receptors. So does well, yerba, yerba mate <clears throat> has a host of different stimulatory alkaloids in it beyond just coffee? Mm. Um, you know, and that that's probably why it's more wakefulness inducing than even coffee. Hmm. 
Uh, ultimately, though, it comes down to the same approach as with anything, a diazepam for sleep, a nicotine from cigarettes or caffeine from coffee, gradual weaning off in, in increasingly smaller dosages, mm. you know, where, you know, you might, if you're taking Valium to sleep, you, you cut the pill in three quarters for the first week and then into half the second week and into one quarter the third week and then one eighth the fourth week. And then eventually you just have a tiny bit and you know, and then, you know, you switch to CBD or melatonin or something so like that. So there's not like so. a switching from coffee to yerba mate isn't really doing yourself no, any you're, huge you're favors. still just getting the same effect, just yeah. from a different caffeine source. Gotcha. I think there's a broader, there's a, a broader sort of metaphor here with the weaning off. You're setting yourself up for failure in a lot of cold turkey cases, or it, the, the opposite is true or the obverse is true, I should say, um, when it's... I haven't worked out in 10 years and now I'm going to go to the gym and work out for three hours straight. And then all of a sudden you can't move for the next seven days. That's a good point because I can't tell you the last time I did a truly soul crushing workout because I felt like I just needed to crush it because I hadn't been to the gym for a while, right? Like I'm just consistently, I do an hour of workout a day. Just like almost every day of the year, mm. like it's very simple for me. I never have that that foreboding workout that I got to go in and do that's going to just absolutely crush me. It's just little bits every day, and kind of the reverse holds true for some of these stimulants, right? Like if you're just kind of like a one one and a half cup of coffee a day type of person, you rarely paint yourself into that corner of being addicted to coffee because you're not drinking the the addictive amounts of two, three, four cups, etc. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes just like small consistent doses of either a positive or a negative habit make it that much easier to carry on the positive habit mm-hmm. or to break the negative habit. Yeah. Mm. yeah. yeah. Question. Well, oh, by the way, one other thing you should note that's important to realize about caffeine, this might help you a little bit, is it's a well-known psychotropic stimulant. In people who have effectively weaned themselves off caffeine, who actually begin to take it again, like sometimes the effects are profound, like extremely stimulatory. And furthermore, you can buy caffeine powder like off of Amazon and a lot of like weightlifters and exercise enthusiasts will buy this stuff. You can kill yourself with a few tablespoons of that. Oh, good I mean, the, the, the toxic effect of caffeine is not that high. Wow. And like, it still surprised me. You can buy bulk caffeine powder and it can kill you. Hmm. Wow. What about, so, so the question was any funny or crazy new year's resolutions. Have you heard anything that's absurd uh, to me? You know what, what's absurd. And I, I don't think this is addressing the actual question, but like anything is absurd if you don't actually want to do it. Yeah. Uh, people often make strange resolutions because they feel obligated and a resolution out of societal obligation is that's, that's absurd to me. Yeah. I can't think of a single absurd resolution I've heard. Yeah, I, I'm not trying to be a dick. But I don't get out much. I'm not trying to be a dick, but I think like, I think resolutions are absurd in general. Like, Why is that? Me, because they are, they're, they're usually set up for failure. It's more of a dieting approach than it is a lifestyle approach. Mm. And to sit, because it has such a negative connotation, like Ben was saying, in the media, it has such a negative connotation already. Like, it's, the word itself has become absurd because... I mean, at the beginning of the article, 99% of people don't follow through with their resolutions. I'm going to push back on that because I think, you know, I mentioned tradition earlier. Mm -hmm. I think there is something to be said for like 
honoring your birthday and having this enormous celebration on the day that you were born mm. or having some kind of like a like a moon cycle celebration that a lot of you know hunter gatherer indigenous societies have like this is the new moon and we yeah. have some kind of a festival for the coming of the moon or you know we celebrate the advent or in the mediterranean diet there are certain periods of time where you abstain from meat or fast like humans seem to thrive quite a bit when it comes to cultural stability on these like on these on these traditions these anniversaries yeah. these cycles these special times of year and i would consider january 1st to be that coming of a of a new time a rebirth being right? able to like, reset like that that recognized time where it is societally acceptable to make a drastic change in your life and mm. to not be judged harshly by others for it yeah to do something oh, as crazy as putting on pink shorts and knee-high compression socks and wandering into a crossfit box because you've made and, and any other day of the year i'm gonna start cross-dressing yeah. at the gym that's an absurd resolution yeah, any other day of the year you'd get funny looks but that one day it's like yeah. oh it's january 1st you've made it yeah. good for you i totally i totally see your point dude see I, i'm at a disadvantage because i was raised jehovah's witness mm. and any uh holiday spirit was crushed out of me from birth so yeah. like birth like my birthday's in three days I, it's another day to me. Like I don't have this any. I mean, my my uh, my wife Mariah. She's like, "What do you want to do for your birthday? What kind of dinner do you want?" I'm like, "Honey, if I can just spend the day with you, like that's cool. Like I do yeah. every every day that I can in my life." Um, but I do love this idea of because I, I think to your point, it is important to have these emotional peaks and to have these uh, to have permission to kind of like you said, like to reset or on your birthday to really go out of your way to be like, oh man, I am grateful to be alive. I am so happy that I made it another year. So yeah, so maybe there's somewhere in the middle. Not all resolutions are absurd. Uh, Resolutions are absurd if you don't plan on following through with the resolution or if it really does, if you're just doing it out of out of uh you know the mechanics of it or the motion of just okay another year another resolution like that's where it's going to be absurd yeah if it's someone else's resolution and you feel like you're forced into it right then uh, of course that that's not going to stick but yes i i'm I'm agreeing with, with both stances here because resolving to make some sort of change is really important and it continues to be important whether it's january 1st which i agree making the radical change on january 1st is more societally acceptable yeah um but if you're listening to this on on june 17th it's okay to go against society and still change yeah you might get more people to buck the change uh, and you might have to try to explain it more but ultimately you don't have to explain yourself to to the people who care about you. You're like wise King Solomon, Josh. Agreeing <laughs> mm. with both sides. And splitting the baby. <laughs> splitting the say, baby. Yeah. the baby get cut in half in that, in that episode uh, Sean, of the Bible? <laughs> Sean, bring out the baby for the Patreon episode. <laughs> That's my, fetch my chainsaw. Um, Alexander says, would having a resolution <laughs> for every month of 2020 be more rewarding slash productive? That sounds exhausting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there might be someone out there who like like I remember wait, wait, wait. He said that's Ben saying that sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> he has like a juve light yeah. on his balls right now. <laughs> I suppose it depends is on Is that the what that is on your balls? I could I could foresee someone arriving at the end of the year and having twelve new 
plates that they are spinning, you know. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. I'm in a band and I'm doing jujitsu. I've taken up tennis. I am a vegan <laughs> and I'm writing a book right. and you know, so on down the line because I've created these massive resolutions every month. But I, yeah. I suppose if you're just like habit stacking, yeah. you know, and you know, yeah. it's like, you know, January is devoted to beginning to eat healthy and February I'm going to start moving more and, you know. So I think it kind of depends on the nature of the resolution. It sounds exhausting to me too. There is that dude who, when we were working in the corporate world, he was a professional speaker. I forget his name, but his whole thing was, you know, every 90 days, come up with a new resolution, come up with a new habit that you want to do in 90 days. And his example was, you know, he started off with uh, doing 10,000 steps every day for 90 days. And then he incorporated writing in for 90 every day for 90 days. And what he ended up doing was this habit stacking. So, I mean, the answer to this question is, Yes or no. Like it just depends on what what are you able to handle and what and what are you putting on your plate each month. If you're yeah, if you're like okay, this month I'm going to learn how to play the guitar, next month I'm going to learn how to do nujitsu, and then on that third month I'm going to learn how to play piano, like you yeah, you're probably putting too many plates in the air. Or what if life is pretty good come June? And you're just trying to pull some resolution out of your ass just because you painted yourself into doing that right. you know, at the beginning of the year. It's like, you know what? If if life is good and you're learning new skills and you're happy and you're and you're cruising along and and you know things things are going well, why 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 you know, force why it? Break something that's working pretty well. Yeah, no, you know? I totally but, agree. But you have a lot of personal experiments. Uh, I think you just called yourself a, earlier an immersive journalist. <laughs> um, so so I'm a unique snowflake because <laughs> my job is to try new shit. Right. Right. Yeah, but you also, I think you're especially unique because I think you enjoy a lot of this stuff. The the things that, that you do would, I, I think, bring less joy to my life in many instances. In some instances, I can tweeze out lessons from you. In fact, I have, and I've tried different things that you do, but not to the same intensity or, or with the same frequency. Can we talk about some of these experiments you've done recently? Yes. What, what, what stands out? What stands out? Um, Tell us like one success and one failure. Wait, weren't you injecting mm. things into your penis for a while? Yes. <laughs> was that a success? <laughs> it, it was. Let's see it. <laughs> it was. <laughs> we'll put it on Patreon. My dick uh, turned black and blue for a little while <laughs> when I injected it with stem cells. Hot? My my wife was a little concerned. <laughs> I'd say so. Uh, were they your Were they your stem cells? They were my stem cells okay. extracted from the adipose tissue of my back and okay. enzymatically grown to concentrate what are called the mesenchymal stem cells oh, wow. over the course of about three months. So and what was the what, what was this experiment to supposed to test enhance, out? Enhanced sexual performance, mm. uh, erectile quality, length of orgasm, and overall sexual function with age. Wow! So did it work? Yeah. Did it work? Like it, did it? It it did work. Wow! It did work. Uh, and this was part of a three. It's actually turning about a five-month foray for men's health for the cover article of Men's Health last year called New Year, New Dick, wow. in which they had me do everything a man could do from platelet-rich plasma injections to stem cell injections to reduced ejaculation frequency to gas station dick pills to shockwave therapy to anything one could do to enhance sexual performance just wow. to, to write this article. So this is what and worked the best, though, was... I, I would say stem cells, albeit the most expensive yeah. of the things that you could do. We're talking like eight thousand, ten thousand dollars for somebody Ooh, to jam wow. some stem cells into your genitals. Mm. But you know, it, it was the most effective. Yeah. So I mean, ten thousand dollars for a new dick. 
yeah. mean, that seems like a pretty low cost, really. <laughs> yeah, but th- this was a while ago, and and really, I I can't say I have any any stories of times when things have gone really really shitty and gone very much south from any type of experimentation I've done myself. The Most only thing I could I do research a little. The bit. only thing I can think of is the filter that you talked about, where you ended up getting sick. But that's. I mean, that's right. kind of like that, one of those like, things. You yeah, know, wilderness survival drinking out of a creek. Right. Giardia. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not that crazy. Mm. I have been doing a lot lately uh, with sensory deprivation in a float tank. Mm. So I recently got a float tank, and it's, it's very clean. It's treated with UV and ozone, uh, hydrogen water, tons and tons of magnesium sulfite. And I've got a, like an internal audio player in there that will play binaural beats or lucid dreaming beats or uh, music and designed to enhance DMT release from the pineal gland. Mm. And I used to nap every afternoon and I've started just like climbing into that thing for about 45 minutes. There's awesome. laying on my back in complete darkness, floating in water, you know, and there's this book called blue mind that goes into the, the physiological and psychological attraction of the human psyche to water, whether it's the you know, aquatic ape theory that we were all at one time monkeys that originated from the water, or whether it's, you know, the time we spent in our mother's womb as we were being formed for nine mm-hmm. months. But there's something incredibly therapeutic about just laying in that water, completely deprived in the dark, mm-hmm. right? Middle of the work day, right? Like yeah. right in the afternoon when, when, you know, you're, you're halfway through the day and you just slip down there for a little while and get in the float tank. Like I, I used to kind of raise my eyebrow floating and think it was just a bunch of people kind of like, you know, checking out and, and, you know, essentially napping in water. But right. there's something special about floating in that tank. I agree. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I've only done it once, but it was – it reminds me I need to start doing that again. I've, I've gone really quite a few it. times. Um, first time I ever went was actually in Spokane. There's a place called Float Spokane. Mm-hmm. And um, then every time I would go out to Spokane after that, uh, it was – I would just stop there, like, on the way home. And uh, Do you do it, hour sessions? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've done quite a few 90-minute sessions as well. There's mm. a place in Missoula. Um, but the 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 thing that I noticed that was so fascinating the first time I did it, Ben, was, yes, it is sensory deprivation, except there's one sense that gets turned way up, and it's your mind. And you realize how loud mm. the mind is. And and because all of a sudden there's no stimulation. You, the, the water is the same temperature as your skin, like 94 degrees roughly, and, and there's no sound unless you have some sort of you know brain FM or, or, or something else going on in there. Uh, it's completely pitch black. And so all of a sudden, all that's left is you... You realize, actually, it sounds like your brain is being turned up, but then you realize, like, oh, no, it's been loud the entire time, and I've just been ignoring it because there's so much stimuli around me all day. And we live in a day and age where with ear pods and traffic and music and podcasts and everything, like, we're able to pretty much listen and see and smell and, you know, via tactile sensation, tune into sensory override mm. just almost all the time. And you don't need a float tank. I mean, you can go camping for the day or, you know, go out in the forest and meditate for a little while. And you don't realize how loud the world is that we're living in yeah. until you you step outside that norm and isolate yourself for a little while. Yeah. We're so because, uncomfortable with, with, yeah. with silence, though. Dude, even yeah. like, I, I, it's like a meme at this point where people joke about uh, getting on Netflix and binging, but like while they're watching, like they're on their phones because there's just so much stimulus available. It's like, I mean, I will find myself sometimes, I'm like, oh, 
you know, Mariah and I'll be watching a rerun. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to get on my phone. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I've got two screens going at once, but because it's there, it's like you have this impulse to do it. What it's are you, the, it's I'm, the, human... I'm the same way. And, and like, I, it, it's almost destroyed watching movies for me. Mm-hmm. Like, this idea of, of being able to engage in multiple activities. And it's almost like reprogram me because when I will sit down, it's very rare that we watch a movie or a documentary or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But even if I commit to setting down my smartphone, I'll arrive there downstairs on the, on the couch with my family to watch whatever we're going to watch. And I've got like a book tucked under my arm or a notebook to write stuff down with that might pop into my head yeah. while I'm watching them. So it's, it's very strange. It's like almost this, this, uh, this constant stimuli has almost shifted the brain yeah. into an inability to be able to focus on one item at a time. It's like trying multitask, but like multitasking really isn't yeah. a thing. It's, we, it it's just not us, being able to pay attention. It makes us feel like we're, we're being productive. And yeah. I think that's a problem. Like if you're just being productive for the sake of being productive uh that's dangerous i mean it can actually literally be dangerous you drive around la and you see people being productive they're driving somewhere that's productive but then they're also texting which is they're they're getting something done that's productive but done together it's it's literally dangerous but it can also be a blessing this this hyper productivity ability to multitask for for everyone who's who's texting on their phone think of how many other people are listening to an audiobook yeah or this podcast while they're on their commute sure they're they're multitasking but there would have been a time um you know 10 years ago when they were listening to music or you know kind of shitty am talk radio that was pushed to them whatever information they were interested in that they weren't able to self-select sure but if someone's driving down the road right now you know say it's december 31st or january 1st they're interested in new year's resolutions all of a sudden they came across this podcast on resolutions their life is is way better yeah right and maybe for some of us you know life is way better if we're able to learn as we're watching a documentary at the same time catch up with a few friends on facebook right Mm -hmm. like i question whether whether that's that bad of a thing yeah no I, th- I think like anything else in life i mean it can be it can be a bad thing or it can be a very useful thing yeah it's, it's, just, it's to what extent the, the yeah. texting and driving is is dangerous the podcasting and driving is probably educational right yeah. unless it's a hy- hypnosis podcast <laughs> right <laughs> probably not a good idea right. okay i got a float tank in my car right um all right uh oh eric you mentioned airpods a second ago oh yeah i was gonna ask him too okay d- uh, d- ask him so <laughs> so what do you think about airpods man are they are they are they gonna give us brain cancer well i've been I, using my less ever since josh sent me an article but i still I use them every once in a while really been wanting an apple watch we were talking about this earlier and i still haven't gotten one even though i really like that can monitor ecg and i can just load my podcast or audiobooks up onto that and have a smaller interface and less to carry around than my phone mm-hmm. the warning label on it says to keep it at least 10 millimeters from your skull from mm-hmm. your face because like apple knows the biological impact of radio frequency and sure, cell and Wi-Fi signals are are a little bit more damaging in terms of their power and the ability of that frequency to impact tissue or, mm. you know, in your pocket to lower sperm quality or anything else that these things have been shown to do. But there are a few studies that you can find on PubMed that show an impact of Bluetooth on cell membranes, particularly oh. class one Bluetooth, hmm. which a lot of these devices emit. And if 
the Bluetooth can be disabled, such as say, you know, I'm wearing a self-quantification ring right now, as are you, Josh, yeah. this, this aura ring, mm-hmm. then the yeah, you can, you can go to your, your app and, and <laughs> put it into, uh, into airplane mode and keep the Bluetooth off. But considering that the ear pods do not have a Bluetooth function that can be disabled, that would defeat the purpose of them being wireless headphones. <laughs> and they're in your ears next to your brain. Yeah. I am still that guy with the old school iPod shuffle discontinued in what, 2015 or something like Such that? Such a hipster, man. Yeah, connected to a, to a, you know, an old school pair of headphones. And I've got like six of those shuffles because they're so hard to get nowadays mm. and and you know they're kind of increasingly difficult to sync and I, I I don't know how much longer it'll be before almost every listening device requires you to have Bluetooth headphones but yeah. I have seen enough uh, evidence that those radio frequencies Bluetooth signals Wi-Fi cell frequencies etc are damaging to biology that I play it safe so not worth it so let me ask you carrying a cell phone around in your pocket, like, because this makes me think, like, I, Mariah and I eventually, like, my wife and I will eventually have kids. We've been talking about maybe, like, trying here in the next year or two. Um, I'm thinking about just putting my phone on airplane mode and then, like, scheduling maybe once every hour or two to take it off airplane mode. But, I mean, would that would that help me significantly, like, with the 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 harmful effects that that stuff can cause like is that yeah. is that a good yeah. solution so, or? so I will usually have the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth turned off okay regardless okay. unless I absolutely need it mm-hmm. uh, the uh, phone itself should be in airplane mode if it's on your body okay. and even if not you know for example I have a, a fanny pack I wear it's kind of like a Kevlar RFID enabled fanny pack it's called a, a pack safe and usually my phone is in that if it is not in airplane mode and I'm carrying it around because I'm expecting a call or I'm talking on it. Mm. And in addition to that, it's inside of what is called the Defender Shield case, which blocks some of the RF from being emitted by the phone. Not all of it, but some of it. Mm. So at the, at, the, at the least, I would have a something like a like a RF blocking case. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. All but, right. So no more AirPods. <laughs> but they were so expensive. It's annoying. And yeah. they're very convenient. I, I yeah. Admit. Yeah. They are indeed. But we'll go back to the wires, and I think you know what the cavemen—they were able to deal with regular wired headphones. They're we the, can too. They're the original hipsters. Nicolette says, "How can I get over the I'll start tomorrow mindset?" Uh, ben, <laughs> I will start tomorrow. Um, I I find that I mean I I don't have this problem uh, nearly like I I would rather get it done today or yesterday. Um, I, I'm. Just because otherwise I feel like I'm gonna it's gonna have some sort of psychological weight on me. Mm-hmm. And so if I can remove that psychological weight, it's good. Uh, I know other people who wait until the last minute. <laughs> Most of the time the I start tomorrow procrastination is because there is a cognitive barrier to beginning it due to the fact that it seems intimidating or um or, or seems like venturing into unknown territory. And so there's this, this barrier to entry because it's a pretty big bite to chew off. But if you are writing a fiction book and you are devoted to, instead of a, say, a chapter a day that you're going to start tomorrow, a sentence a day, that's a far lower barrier to entry. Yeah. And I mean, in full disclosure, guys, I mean, for my fiction writing right now, mm-hmm. do you know what my, my, my quota is per day? What, what is, is it? Two sentences. Woo. 
That's great. That's where I'm at. That's realistic for me at this yeah. stage in my life, but it still allows me every day to make just a little bit of progress in that book, knowing that, you know, once Boundless is done and you know, I'll, I'll, I'll still have a little bit of momentum, I won't have extricated myself from the plot or the storyline, and it's going to be a lot easier for me to start into 200 words a day or a paragraph a day or, hell, maybe half a chapter a day yeah. if I'm carrying on those two sentences a day, even during busy times. So I think the biggest thing is to just start small. Sure, you're going to start exercise tomorrow. You're going to start the hour at the gym tomorrow, or maybe you're just going to start 20 push-ups tomorrow Yeah, or start 20 push-ups today instead of the hour of exercise tomorrow. No, that's, that's, I didn't even think about that, but that's when it came to like going to the gym and exercising, I was like, I'll just go for like 20 minutes. Well, like 20 minutes turns into 45 minutes pretty easily. Cause once you're there and you're into it, you're like, ah, oh, might as well. I'm sure with you, your minimum quota is two sentences, but yeah, it'll turn into half a chapter or a chapter if you're really into it. Yeah, so that's thing, great. Same thing in the gym. In the gym, it's two minutes. Yeah. The gym is two minutes. Like for me, when I don't want to go to the gym, I tell myself I'm going to go two minutes. Usually I'll hop on a piece of cardio equipment, mm -hmm. even if it's just something stupid, like whatever the elliptical trainer. Right. And after two minutes, like you can just slowly start to feel the body when you're like, Oh, maybe I, All right, two more I, minutes. Maybe I am ready to exercise. <laughs> and then you just do a little bit more, a little bit more. But yeah, for, for me, it's two sentences on the fiction. It's two minutes in the gym. That's great so. advice, man. So, so what I'm hearing is the, to avoid that mindset is instead of whatever goal you have set for tomorrow, like shrink it as much as you can mm -hmm. and at least do that. And it helps you build that momentum that you need to continue to, to move forward. Yeah. And that momentum takes you some amazing places. I remember, so I used to weigh about 85 pounds more than I weigh now. Um, and it was all chin and gut. And um, <laughs> and I'll tell you that, that you know, obviously I didn't just start, well, I'm going to exercise and, and eat better. It was like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to cut one thing out. You know, one e simple thing like bread. Um, which in today's world is actually relatively simple to, to cut out. Yeah. Unless you're eating. Especially in LA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I did this in, in, in Dayton, Ohio, right? Right, right, right. Um, uh, and, and what I learned is starting to exercise. It was like, I couldn't even do a single pull up, right? Mm -hmm. We well, have to start somewhere. I actually had to start with less than a pull, less than one pull up, just hanging from the bar for as long as I could. And Ryan would come over to my house and he would do help me do assisted pull ups. Yeah. He would like give me the uh, the leverage I needed to, to do one pull up. And then once you get to one, it's two. And 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 you know, obviously it's a lot more than that now. But it's getting that momentum. And even now, when I don't feel like it, it's like, you know what? I'm I'm only going to do twenty today. And 20 will quickly turn into 80 or 100 or 120 because you start to feel good about it and you've, you've gotten the momentum. I also find that sometimes when something's not, you're, you're procrastinating, you use that word procrastination, it's because something feels a lot bigger. You know, what do they say? Objects are, are, are bigger than they appear. I think it's the opposite with, uh, with, um, working out or anything anything that's on my to-do list it could just be like i need to sign this i need to review and sign this contract and so, oh, i'll just put that off till later mm. today or tomorrow or whatever when literally these things i'm putting off they often take seven minutes to do or yeah. two minutes and i'm like why didn't yesterday i was finishing an essay for our website and i'm like i don't want to it 
it took me less than half an hour to finish the part that I needed to finish, mm. but I've been putting off for many days when I could have just set aside half an hour yeah. and done something meaningful and gotten that off my plate and felt really good about it. Actually got dopamine from the experience. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Like it's always the opposite. When you look at something like, oh, this is going to be so difficult. It's going to take so much of my time. It's usually less. And then there are things that where I'm like, oh, I'm going to get that done in a second. Super easy. And then I get into it. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, I was telling Josh, like, cooking before the podcast today, I was like, oh, I'll get this done in, like, 15 minutes. And 45 minutes later, I'm like, damn, I did not realize it was going to take that long. But, yeah, it's funny how we are unable to measure <laughs> exactly how long something's going to take. But I totally agree, man. That most of the things we put off, it's a, it, we can get them done in a lot shorter time than what we're imagining. Yeah. I mean, for, for me, it's a very, very simple system I use. I, I have Evernote syncs to my Kindle, to my iPhone, and to my computer, and I simply have one Evernote document on which every day of the week is written Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And that serves as my place to dump little things that come up during the day that I know I'm going to need to take care of at some point. I just go into the day, jot them down, and then keep going. And I use something called BusyCal, an app called BusyCal, to actually truly do my formal calendaring, you know, my calls, my consults, my podcasts, etc. But I use that Evernote doc, and it's almost like a dream catcher for me. Mm. When things come up that I can't do right then, but I know are going to be quick tasks I can do later on, I just put them on whichever day that they're appropriate. So that Evernote doc is kind of just like a constantly living document that I delve into and take care of all those those little things I need to get done quickly. That's a great tip, man. I do something very similar with, with just apple notes yeah. i have a um i have a i don't have a to-do list i have a two-day list and so these are the things i'm going to do today and then i have a someday list mm. right meaning they are not the priority now my today list at the very bottom of it there's a thing that says tomorrow right and i'm very careful at the end of the day, like, okay, I really should have done these things today, but they're going to all of a sudden my today list becomes my tomorrow list at the end yeah, of the day. That's, that's funny. I, I kind of stumbled across doing something kind of similar, meaning that I'll have on that Evernote doc Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh -huh. And then at the very end, it says when convenient. And there's just like random things like there's something written on there. It's like, try the horse betting website. Like that's because I heard on on an economy podcast or on a on a uh, on a statistics podcast that the number one bet in sports that you cannot lose is to bet on horse racing hmm. and to bet for the horse with the most favored odds to show, meaning come in first, second, or third. Hmm. And apparently, that is a bet that long term wins every time. Hmm. So I have a note set up to myself to log into a horse betting website at some point, deposit some money into it bet on every single horse that has the highest favorite odds to show and just see what happens, right? Like I'll just put stuff like that that's completely non-urgent and non-important, but that I still kind of want to do like onto that list at the very end. Mm. Don't try this. And I will be a millionaire the next time we talk. I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> I well, I mean, if you're doing like 50 bucks just as an experiment or 100 bucks or whatever it is, but like... But if it works, I'm going to hire like a mechanical <laughs> Turk to do, to do that like with $2,000 all day long, you know, 20 races a day. And uh, three months from now, Ben's calling, hey, you guys got a place I could stay? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got a couple grand I could borrow? <laughs> <laughs> well, hard up, fellas. <laughs> All right, Karina says, I'm the mom of two kids and I have a full-time job. 2020 seems like a good number for change. What are some simple steps toward becoming fitter and healthier for extremely busy people? Mm. This is often a thing where, where, where yeah, to me, the, the term busy, uh, I used to say that 
as a sort of status symbol. I used to wear it as a badge of honor, but it really meant my life was out of control. I didn't have control of my own priorities. Now, it's okay to have a full calendar if you've figured out what your priorities are and you're aligning that calendar with your actual priority in, in the moment. But Ben, um, you have two kids and um, you are a seemingly busy person, but um, you, you also, I think, uh, I mean, obviously she's asking to become fitter and healthier. You're mm-hmm. fit and healthy as well, but that's because you prioritize that. I do, and there are certain things that I think should be prioritized more than others. Um, I get a lot of people that come to me and they're like, which biohack should I do and which what's what's going to get me the most bang for my buck? And let, let's say, let's just assume you're eating relatively healthy, whatever you're eating, whole real foods that our grandparents would have recognized, you know, whether it's more vegetables or more meat, you know, that, that that's just an aside. But let, let's say you're, you're eating a whole foods based diet, you are moving, right? You're either going to the gym or going on walks, or you got a kettlebell in your office that you're picking up a few times a day, but you have some kind of movement practice, and you have some semblance of a whole foods based diet, then in my opinion, the lowest hanging fruit for getting healthy, um, if you consider the human body to be just this collection of mitochondria that all operate on an electrochemical gradient, our entire body is a battery, right? The way every cell makes ATP is based on electrical electrochemical gradient. Mm-hmm. Then you do things that charge the body. So the, the lowest hanging fruit are to drink clean, pure, filtered water that has minerals in it. Mm. Right, that serves as the communication network for the electrochemistry within your body. Like a Gerald so just, Steiner kind of thing. Gerald Steiner, Pellegrino, Perrier, reverse osmosis filter that you you know pour the water from and add a little sea salt to it. Just anything like good, clean, mineral-rich water. Hmm. Okay, that's number one. Okay, number two would be get outside barefoot or walk on the sand or jump in the ocean or touch a tree or go rock climbing, do anything that gets your skin in touch with the planet earth. And if you can't, and if that's inconvenient, buy a grounding mat or an earthing mat, sleep on it or put it next to your desk when you're standing and basically get all of the electricity that the planet provides. There's a great book called Grounding and Earthing that goes into all the health benefits that occur when you're in the ocean, on the sand, on the ground, or via biohacking technology such as grounding mats or earthing mats simulating that. Um, the next is sunlight or as we were talking about earlier, you know, like infrared light or light panels or anything like that, but sunlight every day. You get UVA, you get UVB, you get your vitamin D, you get infrared light, you get red light, getting out into the sunlight every single day. Again, free, low barrier to entry. Mm. I went to get my blood drawn this morning and I felt claustrophobic almost because I noticed that the women who were working in this lab core thing, like there were no windows, mm. it's a tiny room like this. Now we're in here for a couple hours, right? In the studio, mm. but yeah, I'm getting sun in the morning, sun afterward. I tend to walk here to the studio from home. I walk quite a bit. I try to get a, a lot of sun, get outside. And I can't only imagine being in this room for yeah. eight hours a I, day. I recently had a guy named Matt Maruka on my podcast and like he gave a 90 minute presentation on all the benefits of sunlight. Mm. It's profound. Like if it's that free ball, that orb, that orange thing up in the sky, <laughs> you can walk out every single day and get some of that on your skin. Free medicine. Yeah. And then the last two, in addition to good, clean, pure water with minerals, uh, grounding and earthing and some type of sunlight exposure would be 
doing something that activates heat shock proteins every day. It's one of the best ways to build cellular resilience and again, move that electricity through your body. And this would just basically be figuring out something that makes you sweat. Could be a sauna. We know people who get in the sauna in Finland live four to five years longer, the Finnish men's longevity study. It could be going outside in the afternoon uh, when it's warm and, you know, doing a walk or going on a run. Uh, it could be a hot tub. It could be steam room, but any type of heat exposure, not every day, but on a regular basis, you know, a few times a week, figuring out a way to get exposed to the heat. And then finally, the cold. Mm. Cold shower, cold soak, cold plunge, just getting cold for me. It's a cold shower at the beginning of the day. And, and this is cool because it helps sleep because it decreases your core temperature, a cold shower at the end of the day. Mm. All right, so water and minerals, earthing and grounding, sunlight, heat, and cold. And assuming you've already got a healthy movement practice and you're eating delicious, real whole foods, you're going to have like 80% of your bases covered or more. I go to Voda Spa quite a bit. I heard about it from Ben, actually. Yeah, He's Voda's the reason cool. that we go to Voda oh, all really? the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, years ago, I, I heard you talk about it, and and I'm addicted to the cold plunge there. Yeah. Going from the... So good. I, I'm lucky enough to have uh, our apartment complex that, that we live in has a, a sauna, and you can hack it and get it really hot, like actually too hot. Uh, I sent you a picture of it uh, a few weeks ago, I remember. It was like, like 240 two, or 260 something. degrees. Yeah. I'm like, ah, that's too hot. I'm not going to get in there right now. <laughs> but I can get in there with about 220, 230, and they have the same thing at, at Voda. It's a Russian bath bathhouse. But if you go from 220 down to like... It's like 30 to 35 degrees because it's salinated. It is euphoric. Just the, the rotating back and forth. It's unbelievable, it's amazing man. amazing what, what heat and cold do. There's yeah. a new company called uh, Morozco Forge, and they're doing like done-for-you cold tanks that get as low as 31 degrees Fahrenheit and ambient temperatures of 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. You got to like break through the ice to get in them, but they're like these big, beautiful stainless steel done for you cold pools that they done just send, send to your house. Wow. Yeah, rather than you know, whatever, you know, a lot of people are like buying the animal feeders and putting water and ice in them and using that as their cold bath. These are just like all set up. That's great. Yeah. Look at that. Uh, we hand me that box. There's some uh, electrolytes in there. We'll, we'll talk about that real quick since you already brought it up. Um, yeah, so, I was going to ask you. Uh, so the, uh, mineral, <laughs> the mineral water, is there Those a, a is yeah. there like a powder? Like, is there, is there a... Yeah, there's there's a company like AquaTrue that does trace liquid mineral drops. There are companies like Oral IV or The Right Stuff that do, like, little packaged mineral blends. My favorite is one called Keenton. Okay. It's super hypertonic, very electrolyte-rich uh, seawater that's micro-filtered that you can buy in little pouches or... Keenton? Uh, yeah, Keenton. Q-U-I-N-T-O-N. It, in my opinion, it's style. like when it comes to electrolytes or minerals that you could add to water... I think that's at the top of the totem pole, that Quinton stuff. Most of the functional medicine docs I know who like help out patients who are dehydrated or just trying to enhance energy for their patients, they use that that Quinton solution as their main go-to for electrolytes. I'll have to check it what out. What do you yeah. think oh. about these element ones, the yeah, sort of on see. the go? Um, yeah. yeah, this is actually, this is exactly Recharge, what we're talking about. electrolyte drinks mix. So this is sodium, potassium, and magnesium. Uh, it does not have uh, like the 80 plus different minerals that you'd actually need, but it's covering the big ones, sodium, potassium, magnesium, but it's chloride um, in here as well. Yeah. That's, that's what each of these would be bound to, but this would be like, you know, like you're getting your, um, what would be the best, best corollary? It'd be like, you're, you're kind of like addressing the major variables that a lot of people are depleted in but you're not hitting everything the human body needs from a from a mineral standpoint and you said the keen the keen tone that's the one that 
Yeah, King Kong, in my opinion, King-ton. that's like the best of the best. Q U I N T O N. Yeah, there are companies okay. like uh, Water and Wellness dot com, I think it is, or Quicksilver Scientific. Like you can buy it in like a big glass bottle you keep in your fridge, or in like little travel pouches or travel. Uh, uh, they're, they're almost like these little glass tubes that you can just like pop the top off and drink. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, a, a few more questions here. <clears throat> yeah, I was gonna say I the uh, I hear that that's a good supplement to coffee in the morning. Because you wake up, you're dehydrated, you're missing a lot of the minerals. So instead of drinking coffee, you drink a glass of water with the correct minerals and it can yeah, kind of get your, you going. Your adrenal glands actually need minerals for, for you know cortisol and everything else. Yeah. So, yeah. Courtney says, what methods do you use for paring down the number of resolutions you make? Um, there are many things I want to work on, so I tend to overcommit and get overwhelmed. But I struggle to determine which things to say no to. When they all feel important to me. That filter you talked about earlier. Yeah, I feel like we kind of already covered that with, yeah. with having that purpose in life. Yeah. Having that filter that you can feed things through. Yeah, right, but there, there are going to be times where all of the, where there might be seven things that are all, they all fit through that filter, right? And and I think right now, it, when we, we fill our lives, we're compelled to fill our lives just to fill it. We, we just talked mm-hmm. about the stimuli earlier and and you know, sort of unnecessarily being busy. And, mm-hmm. and in fact, stimuli is like the, the ultimate type of busyness in a sure. way, right? Because yeah. it's like, well, I'm gonna have my headphones on, I'm watching Netflix, I'm doing all of these other things, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that what we're, what we're realizing right now is in order to say yes to the appropriate things, you have to say no to virtually everything yeah. that is, uh, that is going to get in the way of yeah. what is most important. Uh, yeah, but I think going back to that filter, though, it, so I like to help people. That's a filter. Mm-hmm. So I've got seven different ways I can help people. Well, how do I like to help people? Well, I really like to mentor people. Okay, I can cut down a couple more options. Well, how? what do I want to mentor people in specifically? So the more clear you can get on that filter, I, I think that's what's going to help you know what to say no to because you know Ben gave two great examples earlier. It's like, he can either you know pl- go play guitar at a nursing home or he can go and give out clothes to the homeless. And there's a filter that he uses that will help him get to the, you know what, I'm going to go play guitar because that fulfills the, ma- the majority of, of my needs or uh, it's more more designed or more uh, pointed towards that filter that, that yeah. he created. I, I, I would say don't feel the pressure or the urge to do everything. You're not a failure if you say no. You're not a failure right. if you turn opportunities down. Right. And in in some sense, you could say that you will be that much more equipped to do a very high quality job with the few things that you select rather than spinning a lot of plates and doing a shitty job with every single one of them. So just understand that if you choose fewer activities, those that are a hell yes, that truly match that purpose filter and that you're excited and motivated to do, Mm -hmm. then you're going to do the very best at those things. And and it's okay to say no to the stuff that's kind of like, eh, you know, I. I could do it, but uh, you know, it's you know, I was recently having this discussion this morning about you know my uh, my manager was talking to me about doing simulcasting, right? Like me giving my talks, like pre-recording my talks and then shipping them out to events that want me to give a talk where it's just like me on the screen talking, but it looks like I'm on stage and and. You know, I thought about. It. I'm like, you this get a is. Ben Greenfield I'm hologram. like, that's that's it's <laughs> all right, but that's not a that's not a hell yes, right? You yeah. just have to learn to say. Just no, 
it doesn't doesn't excite me a lot of times that just involves listening to your gut yeah, yeah. that's a good filter filter out the fil- yes. fil- filter out the yeah filter yeah. things to the hell yeses but i'll tell you too, like when i think about living a healthy lifestyle you could eat right you could exercise even throw in you know contribution there if you try to take on all three at once like that's you're that's gonna probably set you up for failure mm. so sometimes i mean if you got three identical choices and they're all going to serve the way you put then put three things in a hat and pick one out. But, but I totally agree. Like focus on that one thing that you can do uh, or put a hundred percent of your energy into, because that's going to make you feel better than just doing 30% of each of those things. Courtney, I think the thing that's important here is also realizing what is enough for you, right? Because, because what is, we were just talking about this a moment ago, the, all of these sort of the, the hacking and the, and, and these, these tools that Ben uses, that might be too much for you. It, it, I know it's too much for me, but that doesn't mean you can't tweeze out ingredients from his recipe mm-hmm. and figure out what your enough is. Quite often, we're looking at other people's templates and we're saying, that's the template I need to follow that's the, or, or that's the recipe I need to follow as opposed to, ooh, I really like that ingredient and that ingredient. I'll try that ingredient. I don't know about that one, but let me try it. And then figuring out what your recipe is because what is appropriate for you is going to make you live a, a more fulfilling life, a happier life, a, a, a more contented life. But if you're following someone else's template, yeah. it might really just breed discontent. Yeah. And even like your template, Ben, I mean, you didn't, you didn't just wake up. You weren't just born like, oh, I'm going to do all these things. Right. It was, yeah, it was, I'm sure it was a gradual process to an extent. It wasn't just taking on a million things right. from and birth. If you want to learn a musical instrument, that does not mean you need to start a YouTube channel and become a singer songwriter. Right. Right. Maybe for you, it means that what really turns you on is playing a little bit of classical guitar at night. No singing, just finger styling. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people want to be in front of thousands of screaming people on stage or have some YouTube channel with thousands of views. Or they think maybe. they're a failure if they're not. Right. Maybe mm-hmm. you're not going to paint a masterpiece, but maybe what turns you on is, you know, once or twice a month, watercolor painting a flower or a, or a still, right? Maybe you're not going to write a huge work of fiction, but you can write a short story, you know, like, like once a month. So don't feel the urge to do exactly what somebody else is doing, whatever skill or activity that you've set a resolution to get engaged in. Choose the flavor of that that agrees with you and that you're able to do well. Yeah. Well, Ben, I want to thank you for being here today, brother. You're awesome, man. I think you're creating something meaningful. I think people find a lot of value. I hope uh, people check out your podcast and uh, check out your new book as well, Boundless. Thank you for not making me talk about my penis for too long. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for talking about your penis for a little bit. Yes. (laughs) All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you next time. We love you, patrons. Take care. Thank you. The Minimalists. (laughs) Mm-hmm.